Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Isaiah chapter 61, starting at verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Thank you, Ella. Uh, Do keep that passage open in front of you. My aim this morning is straightforward to help us all rejoice today in the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. But I feel like I need to apologize for talking about rejoicing just now. I mean, it feels a bit like talking to people on a long trek through the desert about water. Joy is in short supply. With COVID mutating, Brexit uncertainty, where are we going to get joy? My uh, wife Amy just texted before the service started to say that our toddler had pulled a glass bauble off the Christmas tree and smashed it. Well, if you need a picture of how we're all feeling this year, I think that sums it up, doesn't it? And of course, it would be one thing, wouldn't it, to talk about the joy of Christ's second coming the fabulous future home that we were looking at last week with Matt, but rejoicing in Christ's work today? Really? 
If you're listening and you don't really believe in Christ, then maybe you hear this call to joy as just another example of religious, wishful thinking, blind faith that closes its eyes to the reality around us. But you know, Christ has come in history. And his coming, his mission, has changed the course of history, visibly, globally, enduringly. He can't be dismissed so easily. On the other hand, if you are a believer, perhaps the call to joy sounds a bit thin. After all, we often qualify joy, trim it, and prune it until all we're left with is an emotionless, intellectual assent to to something positive pertaining to our objective welfare. That's how we often talk about it, isn't it? But do you remember the kind of joy described last week? Let me read to you Isaiah 60, verse 5. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. Real, heart-pounding joy. Well, that joy is all through the passage again today. The middle of verse 3, the oil of joy. End of verse 7, everlasting joy. And verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. Now look, um, don't mishear me this morning. I'm not saying that Christ's uh, mission is finished yet. And there are still many reasons for tears in this life. Of course there are. And the joy here, it doesn't cancel out the sorrow. We're going to have a series on lamenting in the new year. But just as our sorrow is real and felt, so should our joy be. Look, if our hearts don't beat even a little bit faster this Christmas as we think about the coming of Christ, then something simply isn't right in our faith. Because the message of Christmas is good news. Do you remember what the angel said? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today, a Savior has been born, Messiah the Lord. Well, the baby grew up, didn't he? And as people saw his miracles and heard his teaching, the rumors grew. Perhaps this is the Messiah, they said. The gospel writer Luke records for us how one Saturday in his hometown, Nazareth, Jesus picked up the scroll of Isaiah, just like Ella did, and read from verse 1. 61 verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as he rolled up the scroll, I guess you could hear 
a pin drop in that synagogue. What was he going to say next? You see, the thing is, the word anointed here in verse 1 of our reading, it could be translated, if you like, messiahed. You might know that Israelite kings, they weren't crowned at their coronation, but they were anointed with oil, messiahed. And the anointed one, the Messiah that Isaiah prophesied, he was meant to come to restore God's kingdom on earth, paradise. That's what his mission and ministry are all about, restoration. A golden age of peace, prosperity, and people dwelling in the visible presence of God, paradise restored. An age which, well, end of verse 2, an age which would bring comfort to all who mourn. And verse 3, do you see it? In which grief and ashes would give way to beauty. An age of joy and praise when mourning and despair would finally be distant memories. Well, after reading Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 2a, Jesus' next words would have sent expectations into orbit. Do you know what he said? Today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. And yet... 2,000 years later, as we look around, shouldn't we be asking, really, Jesus, today? Are any of the pictures of restoration here, or from last week, are any of them fulfilled today? Well, I want to persuade you this morning that Jesus' restoration work has not failed. Sure, it's not finished, but even today, our Lord is making Isaiah's vision of restoration a reality. And the more we can see that, the more we have a fighting chance of finding some joy, even alongside the tears. But you might know that one of our difficulties in seeing how this passage is fulfilled today is that Isaiah speaks of our experience as New Testament believers in the church, but he does it in the categories of Old Testament Israel. So imagine for a second that you were trying to explain an electric car to an Old Testament Israelite. You might say, well... It's a bit like a chariot, only it's unlike any other chariot you've ever seen. Well, that's a bit like what's happening in this passage, as Isaiah describes our age to the Israelites back then. Now, by ignoring that, um, some theologians have ended up mishandling this passage. So you might know that Jesus' use of Isaiah 61 in that synagogue in Nazareth is used by many to teach something called liberation theology. The claim is that Jesus' main mission was to liberate people from 
uh, socioeconomic injustice, to alleviate poverty, verse 1, good news to the poor, to fight unjust imprisonment, freedom for the captives. But we must understand Jesus' words as he would have understood them, as a description of his mission and ministry today in the new covenant, but in the categories of Old Testament Israel. We need to hear this passage, first of all, as an Israelite would have, in the context of Israel's history. And then we'll be able to see more easily how it's fulfilled today. So allow me to fill you in on the history of Israel just briefly. Isaiah's writing here in roughly 750 BC, and Israel, the people of God, are on the brink of going into exile in Babylon, where modern-day Iraq is. And the exile was going to be a disaster for Israel. It was God's judgment on her for her sins. And to show us those sins, Isaiah begins his prophecy in his opening chapters by focusing in on Israel's capital, Jerusalem. And he compares those sins to a scarlet stain or an open wound, untreated, infected. But you might know that God had originally chosen Jerusalem to be the city that showed the world how good it is to be in a relationship with God, a city that was supposed to shine with his righteousness, the righteousness that comes from being in a right relationship with our maker. Israel was meant to be a nation of priests that drew all the nations back to God. But instead, Jerusalem treated God as though he were just one of many options in the religious marketplace. And worshipping false gods, they became false. A city full of injustice, where people routinely abused and misused each other. Now I want to say there's, there's nothing unique about that actually, is there? Because that is the story of all humankind. What were we made for? Well, we were made in God's image to reflect something of his splendor. And yet we have all turned our back on our maker. And without his loving lordship over our lives, to put it mildly, we have made a mess of things. Well, God had to punish. He had to send Israel into exile so that the world would see they don't reflect who he is anymore. But our maker is the God of second chances, the, tr- the exile, it was a tragic end for many Israelites, but for some, it was a means to an end. Restoration. So, verse 1. These poor, broken-hearted captives, they're the people in captivity in Babylon. And the captives are released, verse 2, because the Lord because he's correcting socioeconomic injustices, but because he's having mercy. He's decided to show favor, verse 2, and forgive. You see, this passage 
is about a far more profound problem than injustice in human systems. It's about the problem of human sin in human hearts. And it's about a far more profound solution, divine favor and forgiveness. First and foremost, Jesus came to restore us to a right relationship with God by being not just the king, the Messiah, but also the servant of earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, the one who would enter into his people's grief, who would bear it in their place, taking the punishment that they deserved on himself to secure God's favor towards them. His righteous life given as a sacrifice for our sins. It's a striking picture of sin, isn't it? A prison. I wonder if you feel like that about your sins. You know, whether you feel like it or not, it it is the case. They are a prison from which we cannot set ourselves free. As God looks at our lives, our failure to worship him rightly, the ways we've abused and misused others, he should by rights lock us up and throw away the key. But if you follow Christ, he has served your sentence in full. So the prison door is now open and you can return to your God. Liberation. Liberation from sin and its consequences. Liberation to come back to your maker and know his favor, not his anger anymore. I want to ask, does does that bring you any joy? At the very least, can you see that it ought to bring you joy? Trump's going to leave office soon isn't he? And this is traditionally the time that presidents um, grant their presidential pardon. Can you imagine somebody receiving the presidential pardon, being released from uh, prison early, being given a second chance at life, and not feeling any joy? Look, I I don't think that one sermon is going to solve joylessness in Christ and his mission and ministry, if that's your problem. But perhaps today could at least be the beginning of facing up to that as a problem and beginning to seek help to change. It's simply not normal if as Christians we don't have any joy in him. In fact, uh, the reasons for joy here are even more. Christ's restoration work, it goes further still today. He didn't just come to save us. He also came to change us. To restore us to a personal, active righteousness. We saw a pretty rubbish tree earlier, didn't we, in the kids' slot? Well, look at verse 3 for a contrast. Verse 3 They will be called oaks of righteousness. The mighty oak, the king of trees. It's a picture of strength. So a righteous 
oak. I guess that's a picture of a people who are so strong, so persistent in doing good. No matter how the winds of global pandemics or economic crises might blow, And notice, their righteousness lends them something of the very splendor of God himself. Oaks of righteousness, says the verse, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Do you see then, with the coming of the Messiah, finally God's people are restored to do what they were always meant to do, to show his glory to the world, to be his priests, verse 6. You will be called priests of the Lord. To show to a watching world, verse 9, that we have been blessed by God so that the world would know something of him and his goodness as they look at us. Now, again, I want to say there is so much left to go in these visions of uh, this climactic part of Isaiah, but, you know, we have already come such a long way. Christ has begun to work righteousness in us. I was chatting to Will, uh, one of our trainees here at Christchurch, and um, he was telling me how he became a Christian a couple of years ago as a student. And he was saying that that was in part because he was attracted to the, the goodness of the people that he saw here. Isn't that joyful? You know, there aren't many commands across these first two chapters of Isaiah that we've been looking at, uh, uh, 60 and 61. But the whole thing started with a command. 60 verse 1, last week, arise and shine. Why? Because the glory of the Lord has risen and shone on you. Now, if you remember here at at Christ Church Forward and you've been with us over the autumn listening to the Ephesians series, then you might remember Ephesians verse 5 where Paul picks up on this passage and says to Christians, rise and shine for Christ has risen and shone on you. Paul is calling us there to a personal active righteousness that reveals God to a watching world. Today, this vision is fulfilled in your hearing. Actually, as it happens, that's how Amy and I became Christians too, on a summer camp, run in part by folk who are now here at Fullwood, whose love was a powerful draw to find out about the God that they worshipped. And ultimately, we came to worship him too. Today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. Isn't that a cause for joy? Verse 10. Verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Delight at Christ's salvation. Joy at being made righteous by him. The joy of knowing Christ's restoration work in your life. It's like the joy of being a bridegroom or a bride, on the morning of the wedding. 
Ella's smiling because that was her story recently. Hearts pounding as he puts the gel in his hair. As she puts on her jewelry, her necklace. It's a sorry wedding, isn't it? Where the bride and the groom feel no joy on the morning as they get ready. Well, it's a sorry church that doesn't rejoice at the first coming of Jesus Christ and his work amongst us today. But oh, if you knew me and my life and you could see all the shabbiness of my thoughts and my deeds, perhaps even our very joylessness might make us doubt that Christ really is at work in our lives today. Well, I want to finish just by encouraging you that ultimately this is his work, not really ours ultimately, and he will do it. Verse 11, for as the soil makes the sprout come up, as a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. He will do it. The sovereign Lord. He's compared here to the soil, to the garden that makes growth happen. You see, if you're a Christian here this morning and you want this joy, if you want this restoration, this work in your life today, and the wedding day to come in the future, if you want it, then you fundamentally got one job. Stay rooted in Christ. He has come. He has begun his work. And he surely will finish it.